Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep, never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast presented by the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. This is an intimate look into the training of eight of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic trials in February 2020. And in this episode, we will be talking to Dr. Stephanie Flippin. That's right. That's Dr. Stephanie Flippin. Stephanie is an amazingly accomplished person in so many areas of her life. And we touch on a lot of it in this episode. I've been friends with Stephanie for a while. So I was excited to talk to her and just you know, reconnect on a lot of things and see exactly what she's going to be doing moving forward as she prepares for the fall. Unlike everyone else in this series, Stephanie's goal this year is to qualify for the Olympic trials. So everyone else is, you know, either hoping to be top three at the Olympic trials or, you know, see exactly what they're capable of doing once they get to that race. Stephanie, on the other hand, is just looking to qualify and we're going to be following her journey in the fall and winter as she tries to do just that. Also, just a heads up, the audio in the second half of this podcast wasn't quite what we were hoping for. I wasn't aware of it at the time, so it was never addressed during the recording of the show. Uh, big ups to my audio engineer, David Margetti, who worked really hard to make this audio as good as it possibly can be. So thank you, David, for doing that. Also, you'll hear in this episode, Stephanie shares some personal news with me that I was unaware of prior to our conversation and... um she certainly didn't need to do that, but she wanted to be as open and honest about her training and execution as possible. So you'll hear me stumble for a bit. Uh, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is uh, here in the intro, but you'll hear me stumble for a bit just because I was unaware of that aspect of her life. But I do appreciate Stephanie for being so open and honest and candid about so many areas of her life. So with that being said, here's my conversation with Dr. Stephanie Flippin. Hey, Stephanie, how you doing? Good. How are you, Matt? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. And thank you again for, for joining me on this project this year. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. This is going to be so much fun. And you and I actually have a, a preceding friendship going into this, which is always fun as well. So I'm really excited to really dive in and, and hear more about what you are able to do this year. Um not only in terms of your current situation, but leading into the fall, because you have some big races coming up. Yeah, likewise. I'm really excited to talk about everything um, and, yeah, and move forward with them, with things. Yeah, it's funny. Like, if you go back to last year at this time, mm -hmm. how would you compare and contrast how you view running now to how you viewed it then? Oh, my gosh. It's, I mean... It, I want to say, I mean, it is completely different, um, but at the same time, it's just as exciting. Um, a year ago, um, I had just recently ran my first Boston qualifying time in the road marathon. Um, and I would say that my passion, my level of excitement for running um, has only increased since then. Um, but it's, it's still the same too. You know, I was just as excited last year to be, um, at the point that I was, um, and I'm even more excited now, uh, moving forward. Right. Cause you had basically gone in one training cycle from a 350 marathoner to what, basically like a 325. Uh-huh. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and that being said too, I mean, I, I was really only running road marathons, um, pretty infrequently and solely as long training runs um, for like whatever ultra I had coming up. So there, there wasn't any sort of speed work, um, nothing like that. No tempo runs, nothing, no threshold work. So um, yeah, it was exciting to make that move um, last year. So. so let's talk about the beginning of your endurance running career. How did it start? Um, so, you know, I, I was not a runner. Um, I didn't run in high school or collegiately. Um, I did, you know, my, my dad is a crazy talented athlete. So I, I was going out with him, um, on runs when I was pretty young. Um, I would say about like seven years old. Um, it was kind of a thing that we, we did together. Um, I would hop out, you know, on the road with him for, you know, three, three miles or so when I was real young. Um, 
And it was always one of those things that we shared together. Um, but like I said, I didn't run in high school um, or collegiately. Um, I was in other sports. Um, I more so got into endurance running um, when I was in medical school, really as a stress reliever. Um, and I was, you know, I, I started off, I started off with a, a road half marathon. Um, I ran the Chicago marathon, my first m- marathon in 2012. Um, and after that, I met my now husband, um, and he was really interested in, uh, you know, kind of the boom that was happening with trail running, um, and the ultra running scene. So he kind of introduced me to that. Um, and we started, uh, training and doing those. Um, and I was primarily focused on ultra distances really up until about a year and a half ago. So. And what about ultra distances did you really enjoy? You know, I really, I liked the fact that it was really more, I mean, yes, it's a, it's 100%, you know, a physical test, but I liked the mental aspect of it a lot. Um, and also the fact that with ultra running, there really isn't so much of a focus on like what was your time? What was your split, you know, going through the, the half point? What, you know, what was your finishing time? What was your placement? Um, at that point in my life, you know, school, you know, and with residency on the horizon, things were really stressful um, already in that regard. Um, and I liked the fact that, I could keep running um, as something that was a stress reliever and not something where, you know, I felt pressure to perform or, or hit a certain time. Um, but it, it was still a, a mental and physical test. Um, and it felt great to push myself, you know, outside of academia. Um, but at the same time, it still served as a stress reliever, I felt like. So how many hours during this period of your life were you running per week, per se? Because obviously doing ultras, you know, it's like it's very it can be very time intensive, which I've heard medical school can be time intensive as well. <laughs> yeah. So in all honesty, um, you know, my mileage was pretty it was pretty low considering like the distances that I was training for. Um, you know, looking back, I'm like, how was I, (laughs) why was I only running this much? But, um, you know, I would say maybe, uh, maybe dedicating like nine to 10 hours, um, weekly. So maybe translating into roughly like 50 miles a week. Um, so on the, on the lower end, definitely for ultra training. Um, but with that being said too, um, Mitchell, my husband and I were pretty good about, um, on the weekends, like stacking back to back long runs. Um, and we were pretty good about, um, training specifically, um, course specific. So, you know, when we were living in the Detroit area, we would be driving out, um, to this mountain bike trail, the the closest one to us that had a similar amount um, of elevation gain. Um, that we could get per mile. Um, and we'd, we'd put in some pretty long sessions out there, like, like 35 miles at a time. Um, so I guess, I mean, at that point, we were pretty much like weekend warriors, which isn't the smartest way to train. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, but, you know, we did what we could um, with the time that we had at that point. So you really ramped it up pretty quickly. From, yeah. <laughs> from what you were doing before to like these mammoth weekends, which sounds like a lot of fun, especially when you're being able to do it with someone that, that you really enjoy spending time with. And how did you how did you recover from these runs during this period in time? Did you, were you, you know, susceptible to injury at all or did you get through it pretty well? You know, I've, I've been really fortunate. Um, I, I never I haven't knock on wood had a significant injury. Um, I didn't really experience, um, you know, no stress fractures, nothing like that, uh, ramping up um, for ultra training back then. Um, the, I will say, though, like like I mentioned before, I wasn't doing any sort of like high intensity work, though. This was pretty much all aerobic. Um so I feel like that did help, you know, in terms of, you know, you never want to increase, you know, volume um, at the same time as, say, intensity. Um, so, I mean, I, I definitely wasn't the fastest ultra runner out there. So um, I and back then my nutrition wasn't great either. Um, we're looking at a lot of like fast food and pizza and things like that um, in terms of uh, recovery. And so all things said, I've I it is, you know maybe a 
splash of luck in there that I didn't get injured. Um, but I think maybe just keeping the, you know, just ramping up the volume and staying not the intensity at the same time really played a key role in that. Now, before we talk about the more recent past, like when you converted to, not converted to, but start introducing road marathons about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about your profession. So you're a, you're a surgeon, a foot and ankle surgeon. Um, yes. What, what brought you to that field in the first place? Sure. Um, so growing up, you know, like I mentioned, um, you know, I got to, I started running later on in life, um, but I was um, a competitive um, ballet dancer for about 18 years. Um, so I was familiar, very familiar with like foot and ankle health, um, you know, and I had multiple physicians that I was, and specialists that I was seeing um, from a very early age, just to make sure there wasn't going to be any damage, um, you know, to my growth plates, um, transitioning, you know, into point shoes, um, things like that. So I was very familiar um, with the field, um, you know, and I've always enjoyed, you know, all types of sports, um, you know, and moving forward after uh, undergraduate schooling, um, I was really interested in being able to work with athletes and, um, you know, helping them stay healthy and continuing to be, um, you know, competitive in their sports um, for a long time. So that's what really drew me to the profession. And what does it look like now, um, now that you have your own practice and, you know, out in Golden, Colorado, is this where you live? You, know, you are you're a surgeon out there. What do your days and weeks look like from a professional perspective? Yeah, so uh, my husband and I um, were very fortunate um, in the fact that uh, we didn't, uh, we weren't uh, forced per se to start our practice from the ground up. Um, we were able to find a retiring physician um, that, that we could, you know, pretty easily take over. Um, you know, we've had to make a lot of transitions and things like that to, in order to grow the practice into what um, specifically we wanted and what our goals were. Um, but it was nice in the regard that we already had um, a patient base that we could work from. Um, and these days, I'm fortunate in that, um, you know, my husband and I are pretty much equally share uh, the workload, um, our clinic office hours and time in the OR. Um, but we have been, um, able to make things very flexible, um, in order to fit in both of our training schedules. Um, you know, we talked about it, um, you know, when we were getting ready to graduate from residency, you know, we put in, you know, about eight solid years, not, you know, outside of undergraduate, um, of training that, and we were finally making the transition into, you know, calling our own shots and, and having our own time. And not having to be, you know, so strictly on call and things like that, that residency usually demands. Um, so we did make the decision that we were going to prioritize training and what we love, um, you know, distance running um, for the next, you know, couple years. Um, because these, the time, time flies and you don't want to have any regrets about going after your passion. So. Yeah. And we should say that Mitchell's a kick-ass runner just like you. He just ran a hundred miler. <laughs> Yes, his fifth hundred mile finish at that. Um, yeah, I, like I am by no means like the sole runner um, in our family. I mean, he's incredible. Um, like I said, just finished his fifth hundred miler. Um, just insane. <laughs> yeah, you guys are both insane. This is a pretty crazy, <laughs> pretty crazy coupling between your professional career, your running, and all that. I mean, I don't. I don't want to look past this current podcast, but maybe the next one is following the flippants because you guys live a pretty crazy life. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy, but it's it's been so much fun. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Okay, so let's go back to a year and a half ago when you start mm-hmm. to make the conversion um, to doing some more road marathons and taking them more seriously. What was the motivation behind that? You know, I think the biggest thing was um, throughout residency, I. I struggled a lot, um, with health issues. Um, a lot of it was low iron related. Um, a lot of it was gut issues, things like that. So I really, throughout residency, I, I really didn't race a whole lot. I didn't, there was no formal training whatsoever. Um, and that's, that's totally fine. I have no, it's, it's probably what was needed, honestly, in order to balance, you know, residency itself. Um, and then just giving my body a break, um, I mean, we, I raced here and there, but it, nothing was ultra competitive or serious. 
Um, so, you know, as I entered the last six months of residency, um, I, I was, you know, I was feeling a lot better. You know, I'd had all those health issues addressed. Um, I'm trying to think what really made the click for me to want to return to road running and really um, start back up with formal training and really just trying to get faster. I think it was when I ran, um, I think it, I want to say it was the Detroit Marathon, um, the one that I ran in like 355, um, just as a, a training run because we had a hundred miler uh, the following month. Um, and, you know, I finished and I thought, you know, like I had so much more to give, like it, that felt like I was literally just jogging the whole time. Um, you know, and I thought, I remember when I first ran my first marathon in Chicago and here, you know, I really didn't even know what the standard was to qualify for Boston, you know, but you see all the front runners and things and it's exciting. And at that point in time, I told myself like, you know, it'd be awesome to qualify for Boston, you know, before you turn 30. Um, and I think that thought entered my mind again um, at that Detroit Marathon. Um, and I thought, you know, I've been doing ultras, you know, for quite a long time. I've had success with them. You know, there was never no significant injuries, nothing to where, you know, I was feeling burnt out from running. I, I still loved it. Um, so I thought, you know, let's make a let's change it up. Um, Let's get some speed work, some guidance from a coach um, and see what, see what I can do. Um, yeah. So once you started going down the, uh, the, kind of the typical marathon training protocol, what was it like introducing those tempo runs and threshold runs that you, that you talked about yeah. earlier? What was it like getting those in um, and kind of comparing that to what you've done in the past? I had so much fun with them that like, I, I have no, you know, memory or nothing that stands out looking back and thinking, Oh, wow, this really sucks. I had like such a great time because I think it was so different from what I had been doing um, out on the trails and things like that. Um, and I had the absolute best time, um, like getting some speed under me and it, it speeds relative because, you know, I recently I was just going back over previous training logs. Um, and it's, it's fun to see that, you know, my easy pace now, I mean, maybe faster end of easy pace, um, you know, was at one point, you know, an interval, um, just not that long ago, a year and a half ago. Um, it was a lot of fun transitioning back to it. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. Now, did you feel like you saw some rapid improvement during that time? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, especially, um, you know, I, I didn't race a whole lot, you know, because leading up to like my goal marathon, which was uh, glass city, um, to, to go for a Boston qualifying time. Um, so I did, I did race a half, um, and I ran that in one thirty four, and I had not raced a half in years. I I'm talking like over five years, probably. Um, and I, but prior to that, my half PR, I think was 148. Um, so running the 134, I, like I said, I had a blast. It was so much fun. Um, and I was shocked to, to even see a time that started with 130 something. Um, and at the time it was like, you know, I finished feeling awesome. I probably could have pushed, you know, even harder, but at the time I was just grateful for it. It was, it was fun to see, you know, all the speed work that I had been incorporating, you know, come to fruition. Yeah. You must've been like looking down at your watch during that race and been like, wait, can <laughs> I hold this? Like, this is like uncharted territory. Yeah, I know. I even remember, um, like right off the start line and this was, uh, the rock CF half marathon. It's one of my favorite races, hands down a local race, um, in Michigan, um, but I remember starting and, um, this older gentleman was running next to me, um, you know, and he asked what my goal time was. <laughs> I told him, I was like, I don't really know. I'm like, I, anything in the one thirties would be awesome. You know, maybe one thirty five would be my top A goal. And he was like, well, you're, you're well on your way. <laughs> he's like, just, you know, pace yourself. And I thought, yeah, he's probably right. You know, I should, <laughs> I should be pretty conservative, but. It's just, it's funny to look back and, and see how different, uh, you know, goals and just racing approaches are now in, in a relatively short amount of time. 
Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I think back to last fall when you had a pretty wild double header, you know, especially considering your past. So you yeah. went and did a 50K and then the next weekend you run a half in 130. I mean, talk about an eight day stretch. I mean, that that is remarkable, especially considering, like you mentioned, like six months before that, that's when you really had started taking doing you know this faster stuff a little bit more seriously. Yeah, and actually, um, so I did race a I did race a fifty k, and then, but I think um, what you're thinking of is I did run Run Rabbit Run, the fifth fifty miler, and then the following weekend I had the, the half in Vancouver. Um, yeah, so so it's even so it's even crazier than I than I had thought it was. Yeah, no, no, I don't I don't mean to say it like that, but I'm just thinking back, like even for me looking back on that type of racing calendar is a bit nuts uh, to even consider. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a fun summer. And when you, when you got, you know, you finished up that, that stretch, what changed for you regarding how you viewed running and your goals and where you wanted to take it? Yeah. So it's tough because I, I love trail running. I love ultra running. Um, it's this, that specific aspect of running is definitely where I, I feel like I found myself, um, you know, post post collegiately, um, when I was in medical school, but I think, you know, there comes a point where, you know, the, the saying, like we can do it all. We really can. You can have everything that you want and to do and get out of life, but you can't have it all at once and you can't do it all at once. Um, that for me at that point, um, you know, I was starting to ramp up for CIM and I had, honestly, I had no idea what I was going to run at CIM either. Um, but I just kind of knew that in order to continue to get faster, um, and improve the quality, um, of my running on the roads, I really did have to, you know, cut back on the climbing, um, you know, that trail running usually entails, especially here in Colorado, um, as well as kind of dialing back on the ultra technical trails, uh, just because it's, it's just a risk. Um, for for injury, um, especially when you, when your goal race is a road race, um, and it's just about uh, course specificity as well. Um, you know, training specifically for the race that you have coming up. Um, yeah, yeah. So CIM comes up, and you, you know, obviously had a little bit different. You know, wasn't I say it wasn't the most traditional lead up because you still were dabbling in a lot of the the ultra stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I was. I can't remember like the last trail run or race that I did leading up to CIM. Um, and you know, I, I, I did go through a pretty significant, um, health issue in that time span, um, following, um, the 130 half in Vancouver, um, and those last few trail races. Um, and I will, I will mention too, because I feel like it's important to talk about, um, my health issue. I did have an unexpected, um, pregnancy, um, followed by a miscarriage. So that's the main reason why I was so unsure, like where CIM was going to fall or land, um, at that time. So we had spoken, we've, we've spoken a lot about that fall. And I think this is the first time you've ever mentioned that to me. So first of all, um, you know, thank you for, for, for sharing that. Um, obviously you're, you were no obligation to do so. Um, no, no, I and yeah, and I, yeah, I, I feel like it's important to um, just because I, I know that I'm definitely not the only person um, or runner or you know individual that listens to your podcast that's gone through something like that. Um, and you know, I it's it's been addressed, you know, the grief and things like that. And I I feel like it's important to acknowledge uh, that something like that in, in terms of uh, my journey, you know, with running and, and everything. So. Yeah, you know, my, my wife, uh, my wife and I had a uh, a miscarriage um, early in our marriage as well, and I know that it was it was something that obviously affected her physically, um, you know, dealing with that, but also you know mentally and emotionally even more so. Yeah, uh, not just for her, but just you know, it's, it's hard because you're you're also grieving something, and people grieve differently, and that it it's, it can just take so much out of you, even beyond just the physical demands of something like that. Yeah, so that. Um... 
that was definitely a key factor, um, you know, in determining like, okay, where, and it all, it all happened very quickly too. Um, when we found out and it was only a few weeks later to where, you know, we found out, okay, now we have to, or I have to switch gears back again. It was a tough mind mindset uh, to juggle. It, it was honestly just a roller coaster because you go from, oh, wow. So, okay, this is happening now. You know, now I went from no real goals at CIM just to have fun, you know, and be safe, um, run whatever pace, you know, my body felt good running to, okay, now I'm kind of back into racing it, uh, you know, so it, it was tough. Um, and it, it was just kind of like uncharted territory for me at the time. Um, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. Um, and I, I feel like I'm making the most of the, the kind of the time opportunity that I have right now. Um, and I, I feel like that gives meaning uh, to what I went through in the fall. So, yeah. And it's, it's something that is, you know, quite common, but not commonly discussed, uh, which, which also can be tough right, for people, exactly. you know, when they first come up and they tell people or they, especially in the beginning, maybe they're not, not telling people besides their family, depending on how far along they were. It's tough because you, especially if you tell someone that you had a miscarriage, but they didn't even know that you were pregnant in the first place. It could, it's like you have to, you have to like experience the whole journey again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the reason why, you know, I didn't really want to make a huge deal about it, you know, through social media and things like that. It's, I mean, you don't want to make things, you know, uncomfortable for others. And I think it's good to process it yourself and, and handle things, you know, on your, on your timeline and, uh, and whenever it feels right, you know, to share with others so that they know that they're certainly not alone um, in something like that, then I think that's the way to handle it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you ended up running, you know, given everything that was happening, obviously this wasn't the biggest priority in the world, but you end up running really well at CIM, all things considered. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, and I think a, a big part of that was you know, realizing why I run. And I know you and I have talked about that before. Um, but, you know, we're, we're given so many opportunities each day. Um, and for me at that lining up at CIM, I just thought, you know, this is the perfect day to have a perfect day. There, and there's, there's no need to see it any other way. Um, so I just went out and tried to have the best the, and the most fun out there that I could. Yes, yeah, so you end up running a 305. And I just remember seeing the pictures of that day for you. And we, we actually yeah. saw each other that weekend. That you, you really seemed like you enjoyed the race in so many ways, which is, I you did, know, enjoying yeah. a marathon it was, is, can be like a relative experience. But it seemed like you really did. Yeah, I did. I had such a great time. It was just such a fun weekend. Um, yeah, nothing but great, great memories from that day. All right. So you finished that up. And then was at that point, how much did you met? How much did you weigh preparation for Boston versus, you know, just kind of making sure that you were like completely recovered from everything that you'd experienced that fall and early winter? Yeah. So, you know, I ran the 305 and really it, when I finished, I still felt, I mean, it, it wasn't easy, uh, obviously, like we said, and marathons are never easy, but I did feel like I had a lot of, I mean, not a lot, but I did feel like I had more gas in the tank. I felt like it was, you know, on the more conservative end um, that I could have ran it. Um, and at that point, you know, I'm one of those, also one of those types of people too, though, that um, I may run a certain time, but it's really, it's hard for me to really say like, oh, okay, like now such and such should be your goal. Um, I, I'm not quick to, to make those types of, you know, leaps in terms of goals. Um, I really appreciate the guidance um, of an experienced coach in order to really assess, um, you know, the reality of my fitness um, and the potential that's there. Um, so really, um, you know, with Boston on the horizon as the next major goal race, um, I thought, you know, breaking three hours would be, 
like the next goal. And I really wasn't thinking much further than that. Um, so at that time, um, I did make a coaching change. Um, and that's a lot of it was I, I really needed more. Um, I really needed the specificity, especially living here in Colorado. Um, you know, Mitchell and I both live at about 7,500 feet. Um, and we are usually always 99.9% .9 of the time always training um, from, I would say, 7,000 to 9,000 feet. Um, so I really needed, um, you know, the specificity uh, for training in that regard, um, which has been awesome because uh, I feel like that's really helped a lot um, in my training um, and getting stronger. Um, so, you know, I reached out um, to my current coach um, and she, you know, has been on board, with, you know, from my original goals, you know, of breaking three hours at Boston. Um, and as we progressed, like through training, um, I want to say it was in maybe February um, of this year, um, Heather uh, McCurdy, um, you know, mentioned to me, she's like, hey, like, I have this idea um, and I would really like you to go after it um, because I, you know, I see your fitness level, you know, and I'm, you know, comparing it to some of what some of the other runners that I coach, you know, are doing down at sea level. And she's like, I would really like you to take a stab um, at an OTQ. Um, and at that point, um, you know, we had talked about fall of this year. Um, and honestly, it kind of shocked me because, I mean, I, I knew the, the B standard and, um, you know, I'd seen so many other incredible female athletes going after that too and achieving it. Um, but it's always kind of hard for me to see myself even at that level. Um, I think largely be, because I'm so new, um, relatively speaking, to road running uh, competitively. Um, and just the fact that I didn't, you know, I didn't race in high school or college, so I don't have those kind of accolades or um, experience, um, with that. Yeah. And then it sounds like your training through the late winter and early spring was really, really going well. And all of a sudden you have an invite to go down to the Birmingham wine 10 K where you absolutely killed it down there. Oh, thank you. I, again, that race, I had so much fun that weekend, um, to the point where like the, 10k time uh i mean it was a very large pr for me like i'm talking over six minutes um but um that i mean that was just the icing on the cake um which is awesome that's just how running should be um but that was such a great time so let's say let's say what that time was i was 36 32 um on an extremely rainy day <laughs> i mean it was pouring rain on us the entire time um, and Birmingham is, I, that was my first time, um, to Birmingham, pretty hilly, to be honest. I mean, little mole hills, but for, you know, during a 10 K that can, that can feel pr pretty intense. <laughs> oh my goodness. Stephanie, I feel like you're, I feel like you've completely converted now to road racing for you to call that hilly. <laughs> I feel like the, your, your ultra marathon self would be like, would want to hit you with a chair for saying something like that. Yeah. I know, especially <laughs> Mitchell, too, when he's putting down, you know, 20,000 plus feet of climbing um, in a race. And I, I'm talking about a hilly 10K. That's awesome. So you ran that 36, 32. Obviously, you'd come down from elevation to run to sea level. Yeah. You know, a, a previous 10K PR of 42. Obviously, it's not an apples to apples comparison because it had been a while and you weren't, you know, it's not as if you'd run one three weeks earlier and run 42. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the 42, to be fair, was also it started at 8,500 feet. So it I mean, there is the, the altitude conversion for that. But um, but yeah, I mean, I was definitely in significantly better shape than I was uh, the previous year that I ran that 10K time. So what was your game plan or goal going into that race? Did this align pretty well with what you and Heather had come up with? Or did you did you exceed what you thought your fitness was? Um, I'll be honest. Uh, when Heather uh, gave me the time that she um, was confident that I could run, uh, I was not convinced that that was going to happen. I was 100% convinced that I was going to be the last, the last, very last person on our team um, to be bringing it in. Um, 
And I, I mean, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, maybe break 40 minutes and, you know, it won't be too embarrassing. Um, but she, she had put me honestly right at the dot, um, of 3630, um, you know, 36 flat, you know, on a, on a great day, uh, perfect weather conditions and things like that. Um, you know, and her, her racing strategy for me, everything, everything fell into place. Um, and I was able to finish, you know, feeling strong. I, you know, never felt like I was redlining or, you know, that I was going to just completely fall apart. So, uh, that, that race really did give me the confidence, um, that, um, that Heather already had in me. So. Yeah. I mean, being able to run that time, especially in those conditions, really kind of validated her idea for you going for an OTQ 2019. Yeah, yeah, it, it did. Um, it, it Honestly, it still feels uh, surreal, but um, it, it did for me because, you know, it's tough, uh, to, you know, solely training at the altitude. Most, you know, most runners, um, you know, I mean, we have, you have Flagstaff and like NAZ Elite there that are pretty much always training there. But I feel like the majority of the time, um, there's there's usually specific training blocks um, that runners are training at altitude, you know, altitude camp. Um, so it, it can be tough, um, you know, always seeing, um, you know, your paces at altitude. And sometimes I, I forget, you know, okay, there is that adjustment when you come down to sea level, Um you know, and that's why it's so important, at least for me, uh, to not fall into that comparison trap. Um, just just because you, you just can't, um, you know, the, I'm still running the effort um, up at altitude, um, even if, you know, the splits are seconds off, you know, from someone else that maybe is at a similar fitness level as I am, but just running at sea level. Right, which also must be nice because you know that Heather's also at elevation. So she's able to, you know, be able to, to look at it and try to, you know convert the numbers to a different format, you know, she's already on it. Right. Exactly. So this, so Birmingham was part of your uh, Boston Marathon buildup and you know, part of that, that training cycle. And then let's talk about Boston because obviously that didn't go the way that you had hoped and certainly not the way you had trained. So you ended up running a 307 in Boston. And as you put it in, in one of your recaps, you're like 307 on a bad day. Is, is a pretty good day, <laughs> you know, yeah. if, you, if you want to frame it like that. But what exactly happened in that race? So, you know, it's, it's really, I'll preface this by, because I've had this conversation with Heather too. It's so tough for me to, to discuss, um, you know, I don't want to say bad races um, without feeling like, oh, you know, I'm making up excuses, things like that. And I think, in, and Heather really isolated this um, when we were going over the race after, but she's like, you know, I think you, you've been in this ultra, like trail and ultra mindset, you know, for so long. Um, I, I And it's so true. I have this like, you know, death before like DNF kind of attitude. And that's, you know, that's, it largely is how most like ultra runners approach, um, you know, races. And so it's, it's hard for me to be like, okay, these aren't excuses as to why the day like didn't go that they did. It's just fact, you know, it's just what happened. Um, but I mean, long story short, um, after a really cold, uh, and wet winter here in Colorado, um, I mean, temperatures never really getting, you know, over freezing, it was tough to go to full humidity and warm um, and a high dew point um, for the marathon. And I, I, my body just didn't respond to it well. Um, another factor is, is unfortunately, just the timing of it. Um, I did have a slight uh, complication um, from the miscarriage that I experienced um, at the end of 2018. I experienced that about a month prior uh, to Boston. Um, and it just took it just took my body like a month and a half, two months following that, um, just to kind of get back into my equilibrium. And you know, I, I had blood work taken about nine, ten days after Boston, and that it one hundred percent reflected uh, just health wise what I've been going through. Um, you know, it just wasn't a great day. Um, you know, I the odds were already kind of not stacked in my favor in, in the regard that, um, with my 305, uh, qualifying time from CIM, 
I was in uh, wave one, but I was at the very back of wave one. Um, so it's tough, really, really tough, especially in those narrow Boston streets and especially early on in the race, especially through that first 10K and even the half. Um, it's crowded and it's, it's difficult to execute a pacing strategy, you know, for a, you know, I was aiming, you know, I was in shape for sub 250, um, you know, and the pacing strategy that Heather had written for me was set up for, you know, sub 245. And it's just hard. It's hard to do that. And it's hard to go out at the pace you need to go out at, um, at the back of wave one. Um, you know, and I, I knew in my mind that I had to make adjustments um, pretty early on. Um, and then it just kept getting hotter and hotter. Um, and my one regret is that I, it's one of those things where I couldn't even really turn the race into something where I was just enjoying the crowds, enjoying the course. Um, I, I honestly don't remember the second half of the race. And the only thing I could think of was I just kept pouring water on myself and just putting one foot in front of the other, no matter how slow or fast that that, that was going to be. Um, and that's the one time in my life that I've ever considered dropping, uh, from a, from a road race. Um, I'm glad I didn't because I had, you know, my 85 year old grandmother had flown out from San Diego for it, as well as my parents. Um, and I mean, you know, Mitchell was there too. Um, so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a great day. Uh, it wasn't a great day for a lot of people. Um, but it was a great day for some. Um, and it was tough to process it after, um, it always is to process tough races like that. Um, when you're not able to really show your stripes or execute the fitness, um, you know, that your training cycle has um, shown that you're able to. But I think what's important, um, you know, I emotionally processed it. It was tough. Um, but once you kind of get through that grieving process of a bad race or an off day, um, I think it's so important to be able to look back at it and say, you know what, this, this isn't a reflection of me or my fitness. Um, it's not defining. It's simply a, just a statistic. It's a statistic in the fact that the longer that we're running, um, you know, the longer that we're, we keep putting ourselves out there, the more likely, you know, you're, you're going to have good days and bad days. And the longer you're in it, you know, the more likely you are to experience both. Um, and you have to have both, you know, because this is life. It's not, you know, a perfect fairy tale. Um, and so, I, yeah, I mean, I took the time to process it, but um, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, three hours of my life. It's, a, you know, it's not, you know, something that needs to be some sort of black mark, you know, on my running journey or anything like that. Right. And I think that's a great way of putting it. That's for sure. And it's obviously something that it's not as if you had that, that mindset dialed in when you cross the finish line. It takes a little while for most people to get to that point in terms of reflecting on, on the race day and, and everything that goes with it. Along with that reflection, what have you learned from that day that you're now trying to use moving forward, not only from a running, racing and training perspective, but also in regards to your health and your body? You know, moving forward, um, you know, even taking a look at my heart rate data um, from the race, I, I obviously wasn't wearing a chest strap, but so, I mean, wrist-based wrist um, heart rate data is always going to be a little skewed, but my heart rate was high. It was 170, you know, straight off the bat. Um, and just knowing that my body was under so much stress um, for that race, um, and I, you know, I just was not able to, you know, even get up to the paces that I was shooting for going through the first half. Um, I've just been more cognizant about listening to my body. You know, I, I was very vigilant about taking the appropriate downtime um, two weeks um, after Boston. Um, I'm not a big person that's... Um, I'm not a big fan of doing like immediate comeback races in order to chase a time. Um, just because I feel like I've gotten into that. I've, I've been there before and it, it sometimes it can just be obsessive um, about times and things like that. So just after I processed it and just, you know, discussing things with Heather and just knowing that the fitness that I built, you know, from this past, um, you know, Boston training cycle, 
it's it's just helping me build, you know, for the next one. Um, and just knowing that moving forward. Um, and and just you know trying to stay confident um, in that, um, I think has been helpful for me in terms of, you know, once I took the two week downtime and then transitioned back um, into training, you know, easing back into it. Um, I've also been, I feel like, more focused on, you know, not not doubting myself um, and not being, not going into workout scared, you know, or worried about hitting a specific pace. Um, I remember like when Heather and I were discussing, you know, goals, you know, for the summer um, and, you know, building my speed and power um, in the shorter distances. I told her, I was like, all right, let's do this. And I, I just said, I was like, I, my goal from here on out is like to be courageous. Every single workout, no more of this, like, well, Heather, that seems pretty fast. I don't know if I can hit that. Um, and what's funny is she just sent um, like a, um, a gift back of uh, Dwight from the office, like fist bumping. And I thought, yeah, I'm saddled up with the right person <laughs> for this. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but, um, but yeah. And also um, just like moving forward and knowing that, you know, as, as my goals become higher per se, um, you know, it's, there's a higher reward, but there's also a higher risk. Um, with those and just knowing that, I mean, that's, that's the cost. That's what it costs um, is that risk. Um, it's the, it's the price of admission um, to, I mean, not just a great race, but to a, a meaningful life as well. So just keeping that, um, you know, on the forefront has been helpful for me moving forward um, after a tough day at Boston. So how are you feeling now in regards to just your, your, your body, um, any ill effects? Um, still coming from the miscarriage and just how your training's going? Uh, no, I'm feeling great now. Um, I did, like I said, I did have the blood work done, um, you know, about 10 days out. Um, I, I made some adjustments in, ter in terms of some of my supplements um, and diet and things like that. I'm feeling great. Um, I haven't had any, you know, other symptoms or lingering um, effects. Uh, I'm feeling really strong. Um, like I said, our Heather's and my goal for this summer was just to really work on developing speed and power um, in shorter distances. Um, so I've been on the track quite a bit um, and it's been fun. I mean, it's type two fun. <laughs> it's, it's painful, but um, it is fun. And it, it does remind me of, you know, not that long ago when I first started doing any type of speed work um, whatsoever. Um, this has been fun for me and a good change uh, from the, you know, the traditional marathon training that I've been doing. Um, I feel like it's keeping me happy and keeping me engaged with running um, as opposed to, you know, like I said, chasing a specific marathon time, you know, and just doing this endless marathon cycle. Uh, it's been fun. Um, for the past couple months or so to transition into some shorter, shorter distance work. All right. Well, I can't wait till our next episode to, to dive into exactly what that looks like. You know, look at your exact workouts and how that compares and all that stuff. Uh, but before we finish up this episode, what does the rest of 2019 look for you from a uh, racing perspective? Yes. Yeah, so I have a 5k coming up um, on July 4th. Um, after that, um, I actually, uh, just got invited to race the USATF, uh, Colorado, uh, 10K championships, uh, also in July, that's on July 20th. Um, so I'll be doing those two. Um, and then I also, I have another 10K beginning of August. Um, and then that'll lead me up to my goal, uh, half marathon, um, in, um, I'll be racing, uh, America's finest city half marathon and that's in my hometown of San Diego. Um, so I'll be racing in the elite field for that, which is exciting because I really haven't all out raced um, a half marathon in quite some time. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that race. That's going to be a hot one. So you're going to be what end of August in San Diego. Yeah. Luckily though, it is a 6am start time. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm with my goal time in mind, I'm like, well, it's only like an hour and some change out there, you know, I'm hoping it, I'm hoping it's not too hot, especially with the super early start time, but, um, 
that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I mean, when you're on the coast there, it's actually really nice at 6 a.m. I, I, I lived in a, for a summer on Coronado, and it was like at 6 a.m. I was like, I was running in like long sleeve shirts in August. Yeah. <laughs> like really yeah. hot. I mean, it was really cold before like, you know, the heat of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have that. Um, I will be, I will also be racing um, the Colorado Springs Half Marathon. Um, that's towards the end of September. Um, but I was fortunate to get an invitation to that. So, and that race will then lead me into my gold marathon at Indy Monumental in November. All right. Well, I cannot wait to touch on all of these races. That's for sure. We'll probably talk either the end of July, beginning of August, um, either um, in between those two 10Ks or right after. I cannot wait. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Matt. I so appreciate it. Thank you again, Stephanie, for hopping on to do this call. Also, thank you, everybody, for sharing this show and for rating and reviewing it. It's just been fantastic to see people's reactions as we progress with all the intro episodes with all of our athletes. And then in August, you know, basically this is August 1st. So as we progress through this month moving forward, we're going to have much more up-to-date conversations with athletes as they progress through their training or prepare for a race or shortly after a race. And with that being said... Next week is our last intro episode that is with Jared Ward, and then we'll start getting into um, a little bit more spur-of-the-moment conversation. So we'll talk to Kellen Taylor after her USA Chance performances in the 10K and the 5K, also Roberta Groner, and lastly, what we're going to do is start interviewing some of the coaches of the athletes that we're following just to get their perspective on how the training is going, what they're trying to focus on, and their visions for the future as well. So thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. 